Truth Espresso, episode 245. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello there, friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, and my sweet, beautiful wife and co-host, Chelsea, is with me again. And we're going to continue our little series uh, responding to and discussing uh, these recent Supreme Court rulings. And we'll look at the dissenting opinions and see how reasonable some of these arguments are as we understand the Supreme Court rulings in light of the Bible. So, sweetheart, thank you for doing this with me again. Thank you for having me. So, continuing our Supreme Court gestering, I want to open with a verse. As we look at our second case here, we have Proverbs 17, verse 18, that says, A man void of understanding striketh hands, and becometh surety in the presence of his friend. In other words, this verse is saying that someone who lacks understanding, someone who doesn't look before he leaps, someone who doesn't consider a matter or plan ahead is someone who's likely to take on debt, obligate himself for something that he hasn't determined his own ability to pay back. He's quick to strike hands and to make himself indebted in the presence of his friend. (laughs) So he has the witnesses there. Hey, look at what I just signed up for. (laughs) Look what I just agreed and struck hands or shook hands on because look at what I get right now. The Supreme Court cases that we're going to look at involve the topic of student loan debt forgiveness. Students who are expecting, and politicians who are expecting, that they would be able to so-called forgive student loans. It's the idea that someone should be able to take on a lot of debt for college, but not really think about the ability to pay it back and assume that, hey, We should just get this debt taken care of without our own efforts and without the benefits of, you know, whatever degree we're getting to have anything to do with the ability to take care of that. Yes. So I think that verse was quite fitting for these cases that we're going to look at and especially how our current president kind of views his position in this whole ordeal and that he can just kind of blindly shake hands with people and wave his magic wand that doesn't exist (laughs) make things happen so this is an interesting case that we're going to look at here yeah and so we actually have two cases they're related to each other but one of them just a very little bit of discussion on the other one is kind of the most important one So what we're going to look at are Department of Education et al. versus Brown et al. And the other one is Biden versus Nebraska. Both of them involve whether President Biden's 
promised to be able to use the Heroes Act of 2003 to forgive or absolve or actually have taxpayers pay for some student debt is actually constitutional. So in this case, actually both of these cases, the topic is whether President Biden's use of the Heroes Act for pandemic emergency powers to allow the executive branch, not Congress, to fund student loan forgiveness is constitutional. Now, the first case, Department of Education versus Brown, it involved two students who were suing because they tried to apply for this program that Biden promised and found that they didn't qualify, so they sued that they're being deprived of the benefit of having student loan debt forgiven, and it was decided as a matter of standing to sue, so basically it was kind of like nipped at the bud here. The Supreme Court, 9-0 to zero ruled, basically the case was vacated and remanded. You know, this isn't really something the Supreme Court can determine other than, hey, you don't have standing to sue, so it ends right here. Two student borrowers sued because they didn't qualify for the forgiveness they expected to receive, and Justice Samuel Alito wrote the ruling opinion on it. There were no dissenting opinions because all the justices agreed that this just can't go any further. There's no standing to sue here. I think this one is interesting because it just shows how far our culture has gone as far as thinking that we deserve so much and we should be given anything that we ask for. And it's just such a demanding type of aspect, like from these two students. Like, I can't imagine... I don't know if you can, babe, like ever thinking like, oh, I deserve this. And since I didn't get it, I'm going to go and sue someone because I didn't get it. It's like, wow, that mindset is just so hard to comprehend. Yeah. So many people seem to think, yes, that they deserve something. And it's like, okay, well, if there's even the prospect or the promise of some kind of scheme, regardless of whether it's should be there, regardless of whether it's constitutional, and then regardless of whether, even if it isn't in this case, whether the terms that were initially offered is something that these students would even qualify for, that's like, well, this would be good for me, therefore, you owe it to me. If something can help me out, you're obligated to help me out here. And so we're going to sue because the mental anguish of trying to apply for something and not being granted it. Doesn't it seem it's just this kind of entitlement mentality? Yeah, that and also we're kind of putting people between a rock and a hard place because first you have government funded institutions where they keep adding more and more to it to where it costs more Mm -hmm. to go to college. So then students have to get loans because it's so expensive now and then trying to pay off, but then it's hard to find jobs and some of the degrees they get. And it just seems like it's this whole ripple effect of how if government could just get out of the school. Oh, yes. Yes. We wouldn't have all these other effects of huge student loans and can they pay them off? But okay, they can't. So how about let's throw more government involvement and try and ease it that way. Well, you can't just keep throwing government out there as the band-aid or that magic wand that they can just poof things away because that's not how it works. 
at some point someone has to pay for it and like you said it's our tax dollars that are paying for it and as we saw in this case thankfully they threw it out but in the next case too we see like they even bring up that okay it's not constitutional just to say here we can just ignore these billions of dollars of student loans and somehow let the taxpayers absolve it yeah like you said sweetheart the government needs to get out of the education business at the very least the education loan business here because you know as we've seen the cost of college has skyrocketed insanely in the last two decades but even more so the last decade and it was just a a little over a decade ago that basically government took over the loan business for college public universities, the government guarantees the loans, the government is managing the loans. And so therefore, it's like, if the government's promising to pay for something, what do you think's going to happen with tuitions that universities realize, oh, we could keep cranking up tuitions because as long as there's demand for college educations and the government makes it easy for students then to borrow the money to go to college, it makes college a lot more expensive. And then now, you know, once the government has inflated the cost of college, now you have politicians promising to pay for it. And so the taxpayers get stuck with the bill of ever-increasing college education costs. A lot of problems there. And then, you know, when we get to the second case, we'll talk about some of the problems of this whole idea of promising to forgive, quote unquote, student loans. So Justice Samuel Lito, in the ruling for remanding this case, says, held because respondents fail to establish that any injury they suffer from not having their loans forgiven is fairly traceable to the plan. They lack Article 3 standing, so the court has no jurisdiction to address their procedural claim. So the Article 3 standing has to do with, are they qualified actually to bring this lawsuit? And so they lack that standing to sue. They fail to establish that the so-called injury that they might suffer from not having their loans forgiven. It's kind of strange to me here. Like, we are injured because you even made this thing available, therefore we're entitled to it. So if we don't get it, we're injured by it. Like, I don't think that's how injury or standing to sue happens. (laughs) And I like how Justice Alito continued and elaborated. Further in the ruling, he says... Describing respondents' claim illustrates how unusual it is. They claim they are injured because the government has not adopted a lawful benefits program under which they would qualify for assistance. But the same could be said of anyone who might benefit from a benefits program that the government has not chosen to adopt. It is difficult to see how such an injury could be particular, since all people suffer it, or concrete, since an as yet uncreated benefits plan is necessarily abstract and not real. (laughs) So it's kind of like very much stating the obvious here. I wonder if Justice Alito was trying not to chuckle too much as he was writing this ruling. And, you know, even the liberal justices on the court know, like, 
without a shadow of a doubt there's just no standing to sue here and so yeah go ahead you're the conservative here right the opinion for all of us we would prefer you know everything happen the way we want to but you know we can't stretch this one so we can't descend on this <laughs> okay so if the government can propose any promise about anything and then therefore if someone can't get that Somehow they can sue that they were injured by that, you know, not getting whatever benefit the government might propose in any way or even purport to propose. Yeah. So that's Department of Education versus Brown in a nutshell. Commands of Christ presented by Nathan Caldwell. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Check, let's check our motivations. Where do we want our treasures to be? Because a lot of times people will do things, but they'll do them for the wrong, they'll do good things, but they'll be doing it for the wrong reason. And sorry, that's not gonna work with God. You want, if you do something because you want praise, Well, guess where your reward's going to be? It's going to be right here. But if you do something because you want God to reward it and God to be blessed, well, there you go. There you're laying up treasures in heaven. That was Commands of Christ, presented by Nathan Caldwell. Now located at life-truth.com. So shall we move on to the bigger one, the one with more teeth to it, I guess. <laughs> Biden versus Nebraska. And this is the one that actually shoots down the whole program as unconstitutional. So the first one was the students who tried to qualify for this unconstitutional program actually didn't meet the qualifications for it anyway but then now this one is saying well even if they could qualify it's not constitutional so no one everyone suffers the injury So, in Biden versus Nebraska, this case was decided as a matter of standing to challenge misuse of the statute. So, the plaintiffs in this case were ruled that they did have standing to sue, and that in doing so, in suing, they determined that the program was not constitutional. So, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote the ruling opinion. Justice Amy Coney Barrett also wrote a concurring opinion, and then Justice Elena Kagan wrote a dissenting opinion and the other liberal justices joined in on it with her opinion being their voice for them. And so from the official ruling by Justice John Roberts, it's held and then there's some parts to it. So number one thing that is held in this ruling is, quote, so at least Missouri has standing to challenge the secretary's program. Article 3 requires a plaintiff to have suffered an injury in fact, a concrete and imminent harm to a legally protected interest, like property or money, that is fairly traceable to the challenged conduct and likely to be redressed by the lawsuit. 
unquote. So saying at least the state of Missouri in bringing up the challenge, because obviously the states have to fund such a program. And so if Missouri, as one of the plaintiffs, is forced to fund something that they deem is unconstitutional, would injure them financially for having to fund this that they don't believe they should have to, then yes, they have standing to sue. Mm -hmm. And then number two, that was determined and ruling. The HEROES Act allows the secretary to, quote, waive or modify, unquote, existing statutory or regulatory provisions applicable to financial assistance programs under the Education Act, but does not allow the secretary to rewrite that statute to the extent of canceling $430 billion of student loan principal. And Part A under it, the text of the HEROES Act does not authorize the Secretary's loan forgiveness program. The Secretary's power under the Act to modify, quote-unquote, does not permit, quote, basic and fundamental changes in the scheme, unquote, designed by Congress. So basically, all that's saying is that, you know, according to the original text and intent of the HEROES Act of 2003, there's basic provisions that the secretary can do to deal with student loans. We'll look at that a little bit. That has to do with certain emergencies, particularly what were the emergencies that were going on in 2003 at the time? (laughs) Hmm. The war in Iraq. And Afghanistan. And there are a lot of students, obviously, that were recruited that had volunteered selective service, some who might have been in reserves or some who were deployed but doing college education. Well, of course, the war makes it so that they have to miss classes for who knows how long. There's authorization to relieve them of student debt. Also, if students were happen to be in an area, maybe a foreign area, or maybe the idea that if the homeland got attacked and it made it such that they lost their job, they lost their home, financial difficulties, injury, whatever, then they could have some student loan relief under the provisions of this act. But this ruling here in Biden versus Nebraska is saying that the HEROES Act allows the secretary to waive or modify, you know, so make little tweaks as the situation warranted. But this particular scheme of making a campaign promise just to wipe out $430 billion of student loan debts under the supposed emergency of the virus, especially in late 2022, just did not fit the intent of the law, nor was it really authorized. It would be essentially be rewriting it rather than waiving or modifying. So that's what Justice Roberts said here you can't just say hey this grants a general principle that the secretary can just do this scheme because of the heroes act it's not authorized for that at all doesn't that make you kind of sad that they even considered using this act to excuse a student loan because it's the heroes act it's for people who are fighting heroes that's why it's called heroes (laughs) so they're fighting in war for our freedom they're fighting putting their lives on the line doing hard work and yeah risking their lives and then you have these (laughs) 
(laughs) students that are like, oh, let me just go take some sociology classes and I got all this loan money so I can party in between classes and like, I mean, just bumming around basically. Mm. Not saying all students are like this, of course, but how can you say that the HEROES Act applies to that person who all of a sudden wants to just ride on the coattails of this heroic soldier or veteran and it's just so frustrating that they think that they can just apply this to both of those scenarios. Yeah, of course, the intent obviously being that the president is trying to do an end run around Congress to be able to just figure out some kind of current law, administrative law, such that he can tap into and just make a promise to fund something, you know, use taxpayer money without having to go through an act of Congress and just say, hey, look at how great I am. I'm the great savior here and I'm going to forgive your student loan debts. Let me wave my magic wand here via the HEROES Act and you know, <laughs> uh, talk about twisting a law here. But of course, the liberal justices like the idea of the president doing, so they're going to do some pretty strange argumentation to try to defend the idea that this law properly can be used for the student loan forgiveness scheme. Okay, so Justice Kagan talks about her dissension on this, and she wrote, The court reads statutes unnaturally seeking to cabin their evidence scope, and the court applies heightened specificity requirements, thwarting Congress's efforts to ensure adequate responses to unforeseen events. The result here is that the court substitutes itself for Congress and the executive branch in making national policy about student loan forgiveness. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Congress authorized the forgiveness plan, among many other actions. The secretary put it in place, and the president would have been accountable for its success or failure. The majority finds no firmer ground when it reaches the merits. The statute Congress enacted gives the secretary broad authority to respond to national emergencies. That authority kicks in only under exceptional conditions. But when it kicks in, the secretary can take exceptional measures. Hmm. That's kind of interesting reasoning there. She claims that Congress authorized the forgiveness plan. Okay, so there is language in the HEROES Act that has to do with student loan forgiveness, but of course it was specialized for heroes who were unexpectedly inconvenienced or experienced tragedy or, you know, they had to be deployed in an emergency and that kind of situation from war And, of course, Kagan's trying to think, war, virus, you know, that's been kind of fizzling out for the last year or so. And what's the difference? There's this, ooh, there's this virus out there that's enough of an emergency to get students living in their parents' basement to get ten to $20,000 knocked off their loan bill. Let them soldier on. (laughs) You know, like, okay, you know, she claims that, okay, Congress 
authorized it. The executive branch is doing what it's supposed to be doing, allegedly. So the core is imposing itself and, you know, what Congress is authorized and the executive branch is handling. And think about it, like the claim saying that the president would have been accountable for its success or failure, almost like saying court majority, like, why are you imposing yourself? The failure is not going to fall onto you, so why should you care? Let the president see if he succeeds or fails in the court of public opinion. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a great way to test the constitutionality of a president's action and whether they're following or interpreting a bill correctly, because after all, isn't this court supposed to determine the constitutionality and the interpretation thereof of bills that Congress have enacted. So I could see possibly making the argument with some presidents, <laughs> but with the, our current president, he's there's obviously something mentally going on with him where there's a lot of times he's not coherent or is unable to think or speak clearly. Mm. So why would you want to make such a huge decision <laughs> be totally placed on him? That just seems a little scary yeah. that she would make that claim. Because that also reminds me of in 2021, you know, where the president was saying our patience is wearing thin about the jab. And so therefore it was kind of like trying to figure out how to get OSHA to be able to enforce some mandate. And of course, the Supreme Court ruled that, you know, that's not a constitutional understanding of OSHA there to be able to mandate that companies force people to get a jab under the guise of workplace hazards you know like this administration this executive administration that we have desperately grasps at straws to try to push new powers to themselves and to try to make promises that they're not authorized to make of course with your money Although Justice Kagan seems to complain that the role of the Supreme Court isn't to act on any ideology that they might have, she's trying to claim, okay, the only reason that they ruled the way they did is because of their conservative ideology, but... Think of what she's trying to propose here. She seems to think that a specific law designed for a specific situation 20 years ago is broad enough simply, quote, to ensure adequate responses to unforeseen events, unquote. Like, that's a pretty broad interpretation. It would seem like the executive branch or the secretary could somehow just do anything as long as it's under the guise of a unforeseen events, an emergency. So I'm wondering, when did Congress authorize the forgiveness plan, <laughs> you know, specifically in this situation? Under this broad reading of a war-specific law, you know, the HEROES Act, as you said, sweetheart, the executive branch can simply socialize away student loans for any claimed emergency, and that seems to be what Justice Elena Kagan is arguing here. Kind of to recap what we have here with the use of the HEROES Act of 2003. The HEROES Act of 2003 was because of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. It was to relieve students of certain college financial obligations if emergencies 
related to war require them to be actively deployed or to suffer physical property or economic harm from the effects of war, not from some virus that was pretty much uh, mitigated by the time this promise was made. So when we get to 2020, the CARES Act that was passed in 2020 claimed authority from the HEROES Act to pause student loan payments during the height of the pandemic. Now, In 2020, people might think, you know, when everything was so uncertain and the virus was kind of getting started spreading around, that maybe there could be a basis at that time. But when you get to 2022, where people are even now going in person to college, Biden tried to then claim authority from the HEROES Act to grant student loan debt forgiveness for up to $10,000 for all students and an additional $10,000 for Pell Grants. So those who have Pell Grants would get up to $20,000 total of student loan debt forgiveness, quote unquote. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that it's just waved away. It would mean that we, the taxpayers, would subsidize it. The problem was that this was never the intention of the HEROES Act. And, of course, at this time in 2022, the pandemic, such as it was recognized, was essentially over. There was no geographic emergency or threat of sudden disaster at this time. You know, students were going to college. There was no idea that they might be displaced. This was clearly an overreach and a political ploy to win votes in midterm elections. I mean, it was obvious. So it's kind of interesting. The other night we actually watched this clip that Nancy Pelosi, even though she, the majority of the time, says stuff that we do not agree with, There was this one time that she did speak and say that the executive branch could not promise a student loan forgiveness without the act of Congress. Yeah, so July 28th, 2021. So this was over a year before President Biden tried to bring this to fruition here with the use of the HEROES Act. So Pelosi said that it requires an act of Congress. The president can't do it. And so here's the clip of that. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would has to be an act of Congress. And so after Justice Roberts ruled, writing the opinion, shooting down Biden's efforts to carry out this misuse of the HEROES Act to so-called forgive student loans. It wasn't very long. I believe it was the same day of the ruling. Later on that day, Biden was giving a speech talking about how disappointed he was with the ruling, but apparently he had a backup plan from his handlers. It's not like he was smart enough to come up with this. This was already something that was planned long before the ruling. Like, okay, we know where the Supreme Court is heading. Here's what we want you to try. And so President Biden, now as of this recording, he's going to try again at this scheme using the Higher Education Act of 1965. And of course, we know where this is going to head. Obviously, this is even more of a stretch than with the HEROES Act. But he's going to try again anyway, trying to bolster his support in the polls. And it's likely going to end up at the Supreme Court again. And they're going to say, ha ha, nice try. 
And so now that's Biden versus Nebraska in a not-so-nutshell. <laughs> Hello, I'm Melba Toast, host of Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women centered on Sola Scriptura, the doctrine that the scriptures are all we need for salvation and spiritual living. This podcast takes the popular evangelical women's ministry teachings and philosophies and compares them to scripture to show just how sufficient it is to thoroughly equip and train us to be women who glorify God in all we do, trust in Christ and all he has done, and to live out and proclaim the gospel day by day. So I hope you'll tune in to Thoroughly Equipped, which you can find on most podcast apps, Striving for Eternity's Christian Podcast Community, or look me up on the web at ttew.org. Now, let's talk about this whole scheme of student loan forgiveness, as it's called. What are some of the problems? What are some of the moral hazards of it, even if it was constitutional? Even if we had three branches of government instead of four, like we have with the administrative state, the bureaucracies of the executive branch, even if we had something that would legitimately be considered constitutional, we can look and reason with logic and the Bible to determine, should we even consider that? Is that something we really should do? What are the unforeseen consequences of offering student loan forgiveness? So the first moral hazard with student loan forgiveness is that it invalidates contracts, agreements, and promises. Now, this kind of goes without saying, but you have two parties to a contract. You have the student borrower and you have the lender and they've agreed to a certain term. Here's the principal amount. Here is the interest. Here is the amortization schedule. And how that changes normally is based on the agreement that they have and the student paying. If the student happens to pay more up front, they can change the amortization schedule and so on like that. But that is the agreement between these two parties. So if a politician or a government or whatever comes in after the fact and says, we're going to change that. We're going to have some people, we're going to make promises that we're going to forgive some of that by other people paying it. That invalidates the contract and the agreement here. Then when it comes to future contracts, thinking about what other scheme is going to come up as a result, is there going to be a different or a similar scheme? The word and the bond become less certain. People are less likely to be able to have certainty when they enter into these types of mutual agreements and contracts because politics can just void them or change them. And that's what one obvious thing that student loan forgiveness promises do. <laughs> so another way that this can have long-term consequences is that student loan forgiveness stigmatizes those who lend the money. So one side of the agreement becomes the villain to conquer. When you have the lender and the borrower, and now all of a sudden the lender is kind of <laughs> the bad know, guy this, yeah. the, the rich person wearing the monocle yeah. <laughs> and the top hat or whatever <laughs> the monopoly man <laughs> and that's wait going the to... monopoly man doesn't have a monocle that's part of the that's the mandela effect so never mind on the monocle uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny 
He doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) The Mandela effect. Ah. (laughs) Well, it just, like you said, even with the first point, is that it just creates this conflict between the two people that are coming together in an agreement, in a bond, in a contract, and saying these are our terms, this is what we promise to do. And when you create that conflict with this, then it's not going to turn out well. And that's one of the long-term consequences. Because then you have politicians talking about, you elect me, I'm going to forgive your loans. It's like the students who are borrowing are the unfortunate victims who need this assistance. And it's two parties to a contract. Neither one should be the villain, but now the lenders are the ones who need to be stigmatized in this way, and the students are the heroes, <laughs> as we should say, or I guess we could say, or the victims in this case. And yeah, you sick it to them. Well, it doesn't really sick it to them in a way because they still get their money, but it makes people to feel that the lenders are the bad ones, and this is one way to alleviate the good guys being the students. So number three, moral hazard of student loan forgiveness schemes is that it rewards irresponsible borrowing and punishes frugality. So let's think about this. Those who actually save money or borrow less money, you know, maybe they're hesitant to borrow. Whatever the case, those who happen to have borrowed less, maybe they went to a college that isn't as high profile and loans are cheaper you know they lose out on the scheme here and what about those who have paid off their loans what about those long ago they have been working hard and paying off their loans for decades and finally they pay them off well via this scheme which is taxpayer funded they end up paying off other people's loans in the process And what about people who never went to college, like someone who just out of high school started working in a factory or restaurant or something, and they worked their way up the ladder? They were just frugal. They never went to college. But now you're saying, oh, well, then now they are responsible for paying college loans of uh, people who majored in sociology or something. (laughs) Yeah, I like to pick on sociology here. (laughs) But just think about there's so much moral hazard about this. It rewards those who are the most irresponsible with their college plans, and it punishes those who are either frugal, who didn't go to college, or they went to college, they paid off their loans, and now you're telling them, okay, well, now they have to pay for other people's loans. That's not justice. That's not fair if we want to talk about fairness. Or equality. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is what you call equity, right? Mm. I don't even see how that works. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) definitely not equality here. For some reason, it reminds me of the verse. Now, I always think it's Proverbs, but you corrected me on my Proverbs thought the other day. (laughs) So there's a verse that says, if a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. I know it was the Apostle Paul saying that, but yeah, (laughs) the Apostle Paul seems to say things that might as well have been put in Proverbs, but yeah. (laughs) I remember my mom telling us that often when we were younger, because you just have to have that work ethic that you can't just lay around and expect things to come your way 
not work hard to pay off your student loans and expect that other people who are working two jobs to somehow feed their family and pay off the other person's loans like while they sit in their mom's basement playing video games all day. <laughs> like you said, there is no justice. It's not fair. And what we see in the scripture quite often in, okay, so I'm pretty sure this one is in Proverbs. <laughs> Look to the ant, oh sluggard. That is Proverbs. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) But, I mean, when you look at ants and how busy they work and each one has their own job to do, and it's just this amazing ethic that (laughs) these little (laughs) tiny ants have, even though they're super gross. (laughs) But it's just, okay, God's telling us to even look at these tiny little nasty little bugs and how they're doing their job and working hard so they're prepared for the winter. They're prepared for those hard times. And this is kind of teaching our young people the exact opposite of what scripture tells us. It's saying, oh, you can still eat even though you don't work. It's just because someone else is working twice as hard. And it goes totally against what God's trying to instill in us, that character, that work ethic. Because the Bible does talk about caring for the poor and stuff like that. But these types of schemes incentivize people to take when they really shouldn't have to, when they're in the position of being someone who should be working hard and they're able to work, but to claim victimhood and to take from other people who are already working hard and having to foot the bill. Sweetheart, what's the final moral hazard for student loan forgiveness schemes? Yes, so number four, we've got that it incentivizes universities to raise tuition. Like we kind of mentioned earlier, if you're going to say that you can pay off student loans and people don't have that responsibility to keep trying to pay it off, then we're going to just see tuition keep climbing and climbing because... Like you said, they're like, oh, we're getting all this money from government. We'll just keep increasing. (laughs) And then when more people, I mean, just kind of like the housing bubble too. Like more people (laughs) qualify for houses. So there's more people getting houses, but they really can't afford them. So yeah, there's just so much into (laughs) the whole economics part Mm -hmm. of our country. and And people don't understand basic economics. Yeah. With the virus emergency, you know, and the Fed slashing interest rates to zero stuff, what did that do? That encouraged more borrowing, and so that ended up causing a very, a kind of brief but extremely inflated housing bubble 2.0. Housing prices just more than doubled in two years. That's insane. But that's what happens when you don't understand economics and you think you can just respond to emergencies by doing that. So when you have things like student loan forgiveness schemes, what's to stop universities from raising tuition by $10,000? And so, hey, if you're going to get $10,000 forgiven, well, you're going to get $10,000 forgiven of a tuition that's increased by (laughs) $10,000. And so, taxpayers are now having to pay more. You have to borrow more money for college. You know, that's what demand does. Supply and demand is going to cause something like that when you intervene in the free market force is going to drive up prices. The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks 
teaching them biblical hermeneutics. That's right, the art and science of interpreting Scripture. The bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover Jeremiah 29.11 should not be their life verse. To learn more, go to strivingforeternity.org to host a Bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area. Now, as we talked about the moral hazards and the politics of student loan forgiveness, I was looking at an article from CNBC contributed by Cameron McNair in November 9th of 2022. So this was back when President Biden was making the promise, and this was long before we knew what was going to happen in the Supreme Court. But it's entitled, After Student Loan Forgiveness, 73% of borrowers plan to spend more on travel and dining out. So we see a lot of these young people who were able to get into college and borrow without even thinking about it. And the government co-signed their loans. They're used to living on debt and living it up while in college. So then after college, it's like, okay, they're making the minimum payments and they're kind of in the back of their mind. They're really, really hoping the government's going to forgive a lot of their student loan. And why? So they have some more spending cash because they're used to taking vacations, buying cars, buying fancy clothes and technology. And so when they were surveyed about this, 73% of them said basically, well, if you have more cash because some of your debts forgiven, shouldn't you use the savings to try to pay down that the rest of the debt that you owe? Free yourself from this debt? No, they're like, hey, more spending cash means we're going to be more irresponsible with our money. So that kind of goes to show that most students who are borrowing in the first place weren't responsible with it anyway. So how can you claim that they're victims and that they're enduring an emergency and therefore should have this relief in the form of so-called student loan forgiveness? So thank you, Supreme Court, for shooting down this scheme. (laughs) Yes. That was kind of depressing. (laughs) like hear that that was even being considered but i think i mean looking at some of the bible verses that you found here it kind of helps you feel like huh okay this is what god's word says and this is what we need to do so let's go to the bible let's bask in some truth here and get out of the you know depression of politics and stuff and so yeah because the students here they're not like what jesus described so jesus taught his disciples to count the cost and so the count the cost of discipleship and he gives an example in luke fourteen twenty eight when he says for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it so we think which of you student 18 year old or whatever if you're going to go to college and apply for a loan do you sit down first and count the cost whether you're going to be able to pay it back and that includes the program you're taking and the university you're going to and what the total cost of this loan would be and your ability once you get hired to be able to pay this back. And so, yes, count the cost and some verses will kind of apply to that too. So I like this verse from Psalms, Psalms 37 verse 21. It says, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. But the righteous sheweth mercy and giveth. 
So the righteous are those who are frugal and ultimately have money to show mercy and give, but the one who borrows and pays not again is called the wicked. And so if you don't want to be someone who is careless and demanding student loan forgiveness so you can get a plane ticket to Haiti or the Bahamas, like... (laughs) The Bible kind of says you're wicked. So don't be wicked. Be frugal and pay your student loans. And don't think it's a righteous thing for President Biden to forgive your student loans by making the frugal pay for them. Proverbs 22 verses 26 through 27 once again says, Be not thou one of them that strike hands or of them that are sureties for debts. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? So we should look at a loan as something that we should pay back and you know, we could lose stuff if we don't pay it back. So don't be those who are quick to just strike hands and take on debt. And what does King Solomon say, sweetheart? So yeah, King Solomon in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 5, he says, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. That sounded like a tongue twister though. (laughs) (laughs) But it's better not to make that promise that you're going to borrow the money and pay it back if you can't do that. So, yeah, again, kind of looking back in our first verse that you mentioned in Luke, that you need to sit down and count the cost first. Because if it's something that is like way out there in the career that you're going to go into afterwards is not going to help you be able to pay that off then that's probably not a good contract to get into with that loan because, I mean, if you think of debt as kind of like being enslaved. Mm, the borrower's servant to the lender, as yeah. the yeah, proverb says. And you don't want to be a slave the rest of your life to trying to pay back that loan or that debt. And you have that ability to make that choice a lot of times. I mean, I know right now the economy is hard and mm. some people do find themselves having to borrow and stuff. And I mean, in Psalms where it says the wicked borroweth, it's not saying that you're wicked because you borrow. It's saying you're wicked if you borrow and you don't pay it back. Mm. So just really thinking that through that process that, you know, okay, if we do have to do a short term loan, we're going to be frugal. We're going to cut spending and see how we can best pay that back here because that's like a promise. You're promising to pay something back and we need to be true to our word. This whole thing is about honesty and integrity, which politicians often don't have and they think that no one should have. And so, yeah, this whole student loan forgiveness idea, treating it as an emergency for virtually all borrowers, as if no one can have integrity and a loan means nothing and a contract means nothing. It's like... Yeah, trying to win votes by irresponsible students and wanting other people to pay for their loans that they didn't think much about when they took them on. And oh, yes, let's have honesty and integrity and a work ethic and the ability to be frugal and to budget and to tighten where necessary and all that good stuff that the Bible clearly teaches. And also the idea that we can twist the wording of laws to be able to make such ill-fated promises. 
Let's be biblical about things, and we'd like to thank the Supreme Court, the majority there, for recognizing sanity. And so, stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso, and so the next one in the Supreme Court gesturing series that we'll look at for uh, another recent Supreme Court ruling. And God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 